church, our kids. It truly is a joy. If you could, take your Bibles, open them to John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. This is a very typical passage. Most people know of it in and out of the church. It's Jesus turning water into wine. And this is one of these passages that you might have heard maybe uh, someone outside the church bring up like, well, if Jesus turned water into wine, does this mean this is a free-for-all for us to just go at it and drink now? Um, just a short little like sidebar before we jump into the big part of this. Um, Jesus drank wine. It might be a shock. It's okay. Um, but it's very clear in Scripture that in anything we do, whether alcohol, eating, enjoying life, um, we can go into even like talk about binge-watching Netflix and everything else. Everything we do in life should be done in moderation. And currently right now, the church in the Nazarene stance is we abstain from the drinking of alcohol, not because we feel alcohol is the absolute worst thing in the world. It's just uh, some of the reasons I hear other pastors talk about in, in the church is that the Western world, we don't handle moderation very well. And so rather than put ourselves in the position of potentially going too far, we just abstain. Um, it doesn't mean we, we point our fingers at people who drink or have a drink every now and then. It doesn't mean we, we point fingers at alcoholics or anything else. We, we continue to love and guide and serve. So I just wanted to kind of make that clarification here before we get into this passage because a lot of people tend to focus on the wine in this passage. Our focus this morning, our focus is not the wine, our focus is the transformation, all right? Um, you guys also know that I don't take scripture in a, pure, in a purely literal sense for the most part, um, partly because when we or read about people speaking in scripture, um, there is nuance, right? There are words and there are meanings to words, right? You say things all the time, I say things all the time, and then someone might follow up and say, well, what do you mean by that? It could be plain as day, but there still might be a nuance to meaning behind it all. So it's true then, it is true now. Words take on meaning, they take on context and everything else. So there might be some literal things in Scripture, which are great, and we, we read those and we take them very literally, but there's also things that we need to dig in deeper for, and this is one of those passage, passages. So if you would, uh, with the Bibles opened up, follow along. We're going to read uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six, or stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He, not, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then he went to Capernaum 
with his mother and brothers and disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Cool. All right. If you have been to a party, there are a few things, some staples that you're going to see. One is a clean house, um, at least in our, our house. And what Melissa will tell you is, if you come to our house for the first time, we're going to clean it really well for you the first time, but after that, you don't get that much effort out of us. It, you're going to see it dirty. Um, it's not exactly true. Uh, mostly true. Uh, it's okay. You're not going to go down that road? I'll go down that road. It's all good. Goodness. So you're going to see at least a mostly clean house. You'll have beverages on ice or in a refrigerator. You're going to have food put out on a table buffet off for people to pick and nabble at. And probably music covering some background noise, some things that kind of fill the air. You might see some lighting going on in the backyard or some special lighting in the house. All people. You can't have a party without people. And people are the biggest variable in everything that's going on. Because people will talk about the food, how much there is or how little there is, or how good it tastes or not sort of the great. Stay away from that dish. It's eh. There's onions in that dish. I don't eat onions. I think onions are a byproduct of the fall of man. So I, I don't go near them. Um, anything that makes your breath smell that bad just should not be put into your system. Um, so if you invite me to your house and you have onions, I'm not going to touch it. It's just... It's not, I'm not trying to be rude. I just can't do it. Um, and the hosts, <laughs> the hosts will do everything in their power to make sure the guests have everything they need. Because it's a social no-no to run out of food. It's a no-no to run out of stuff at a party. Which is why when you go to someone's house and there's this overabundance of food, it's because there's joy for a host to say, look, eat, have your fill. And then take it if you don't want it. So this wedding that they're at, it's a joyful occasion. This is a time, um, the Jewish tradition, uh, and even now to some extent in, in today's world for Jewish people, uh, weddings can last up to a week. It's a, it's a party. People coming in and out having a great time together, people bringing food, people bringing gifts. Like, this is a week to treat the bride and groom like royalty. Just think about that in contrast to weddings that we have now. Like, I'm finding it more and more true that when a couple comes in and we do, like, the premarital counseling, we start talking about the wedding, like, what do you want in the wedding? And they're like, we want to make this short, sweet, and to the point. Okay, 15 minutes, we're in and out, we're done. The reception, maybe a couple hours. Why? Because they want to get on to their life. What if we flipped off that and let that last a week? How much fun would that be? Yeah, some of us might go, oh my gosh. Um, others might be like, that'd be really great. Uh, us introverts are going, uh-uh. 15 minutes tops, um, then get out the house. But a week, a week. Imagine the amount of food, uh, the amount of wine that they had, um, the, the amount of people just coming in and out, like this is just a lot. And the wine runs out. It's a huge social faux pas, the no-no, you can't do this. 
not so much that they can't run out, but like in this middle of this week where they're celebrating this bride and groom and they're treating them like royalty, this is a big dishonor. The master of, of the ceremonies, I guess you can call them, or the master of the banquets going, we can't have this. And then we read about mother and Jesus. What a great little interaction. And I know you guys have heard people kind of pick and uh, pull at this and everything, but I just I want to let you guys know, like I went back into the Greek and was reading through this, and we drop a word. We drop out a word in the translation. And it doesn't take away from the meaning, doesn't take away from the text or any type of truth, but it does kind of take away some nuance. Jesus' mom looks at him. Mary looks at him and says, they're running out of wine. It's gone. And Jesus is like, don't, don't involve me in this right now. This is not my time. And here's what's really great. Without anything else, Mary looks at the disciples, do whatever he tells you. Like there's no other conversation. Like this is, this is why moms are moms and we love moms so much because they, they know what their kids are capable of. But here's the word that drops, right? It's either anyone or any way, or anyhow, or any way, like depending on how you, where you put it. And either way, it's Mary talking, and it just kind of like adds a little, like, little like thumb in the side of Jesus here. Maybe it depends on how you read it. So Jesus says, this isn't my time. And in our translation of the NIV, it says, do whatever he tells you to do. Depending on where you put this word here, it could be, woman, don't, don't, don't involve me in this. And she goes, anyhow, do whatever he tells you to do. Or, woman, don't, don't, don't involve me in this. And disciples, do whatever he tells you to do anyway. Like, she just knows. She knows what she knows what she knows. Moms do mom things. Rebecca, I think she's with JJ in the nursery, so she's probably listening in right now. You're going to do mom things. It's okay. Do it. It's your job. It's really, really great. And I don't know, I was thinking through this a little bit. I'm, I'm curious, you know, we talk about like Jesus saying this is not my time. And I'm also kind of wondering if there's a bit of a cultural sensitivity to this because they're at this wedding. This moment is not about Jesus. This moment is about celebrating this, this man and this woman getting married. So like, hey, this is not my time. This isn't about me. This is about them. Don't involve me in this part right here. Maybe that's part of it too. I'm not really sure. Something to dig into later. Maybe you pursue you guys to think about and do a little digging on your own. But we talk about, or we read about these, these stone jars, which the disciples go and get. And I brought some water. I don't know if it's going to make any sense because they're empty. Um, but I brought out four of them. There were six in the office. I could have brought four. Um, each one of these holds five gallons of water. So right now I have 20 gallons. Okay, and we carry these by five gallons like this, right? They had six jars of 20 to 30 gallons apiece. So they had six jars, and I, almost, I wanted to bring two more, that they carried full to the brim. If you guys know anything about water, water is pretty dense. Water's got a lot of weight. Just a little side note, the disciples were tough. They had some strength. And I think generally speaking in this culture, most people had the strength because they did things. They did it by hand. They didn't have a lot of the power stuff that we have. They didn't have any of the power stuff that we have. So they carry these things most likely by two or three people a piece, like through, but they carry them and they get them in and they're full to the brim with water. And these stone jars are used for cleaning. Is my battery going out? Something's going out. 
Sorry, guys. It's all clicked in. I'm not sure. My apologies. I can hear it too. Um, that's okay. We'll get, we'll get through. These jars are used for ceremonial cleaning. So six 20, 30-gallon vats of water. When they come in, they pull water out. They wash their hands. They wash their feet. They're making themselves ceremonial clean to come into the wedding. And it's all symbolic. Washing themselves. Consecrating themselves. They are symbolically taking away the things that they've done wrong, the things that have been bad, or everything else, and they're washing it so they can be made holy before a ceremony. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of symbolism. And Jesus has these six vats of water, and he tells the disciples, draw it out, take it to the master of the banquet, and it's wine. We have no indication that Jesus went over there and like touched these things, and, and, and prayed over them. It's just, we, we are just told that these things come in. Jesus says, draw out the water or draw from it and take it to the master of the banquet. Jesus performs his first miracle, this first sign. And this sign is more than just wine. It's continuing the symbolism of purification. What Jesus is doing here is like, yes, we use these ceremonial uh, cleaning jars to wash externally what's going on, but on these same jars of purification, Jesus is saying, I can change what's going on on the inside. Because the master of the banquet takes his drink and says, this, this is the best. What's going inside of me, what's filling me, is better than I tasted from the start. This is the good stuff. And I don't know, maybe there's a correlation, right, where he says, you brought out the best in, at the end of this stuff instead of the first. So maybe there's a correlation between the last and the first, and the first is the last. I don't know, just kind of spitballing the thought there. But I think it's just really interesting that, like, the master of the banquet has no idea where this comes from. And just gives all the honor to the bride and groom. And Jesus could have come in and said, that's really great. I know you're talking to them. That was me. I did that. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't make a big deal about this. This, this is Jesus. Like, I, I think it's really great. It's like we, hear other, we read other parts of Scripture. Like, When you talk to Jesus, go, in, go into the closet, close the door, and pray out to him. Let him transform you so it's not like this big, huge show. Like, just let Jesus change you and let people be amazed. And Jesus changed this water into the wine, and people were amazed. Jesus didn't have to make a big show about it. He just watched people go, what in the world? What is this? The sign, the symbol is so good. It's transformative. And what God does with this water to wine, also with us now, is he transforms us from where we are to the best that we can be created to be in this earth. Devoted to him, transformed inside and out. This water into wine aspect isn't limited. This transforming power of Jesus in our lives isn't limited to just a select few people. The transforming power of Jesus is open to any and everyone who's willing to hear and accept it. What's really great is that the master of the banquet like, talks about this wine being the best, meaning it's not cheap, it's not diluted, it's not fake. It is real 
good wine. And that's the saving grace of Jesus. It's not diluted, watered down, like you can just feel good about your self-salvation. This is transformative power that turns you into this really good disciple, like this really amazing transformed individual for life that people, when, when you give your lives over, like people will look at you and go, something is really different about this. But there's an aspect to this, this saving grace that we need to really grasp onto it, and, and I think a lot of you do have this, but you know, again, this, like this, is, this is Jesus talking, and this is the scripture talking, and everything else, that there is a responsibility on our end. Remember last week we talked about like, maybe we shouldn't have like the safe space, but the honest space? Because in the safe space, we're allowed to just be whatever we want to be without being challenged, without having any real good conversation on that. Whereas an honest space, we get to say, I don't really quite understand. Let me challenge that and let someone else challenge me. Let's find this truth. Let's dig into this. And so in the honest space here this morning, the reality of being this, this, this choice wine, this best transformative being for Jesus comes at the responsibility of understanding that repentance is real. And that repentance is not so much just going, Jesus, I'm sorry. It, it's, it's, the, it's the willingness, the, the truthfulness of saying, I, I can't go back to that anymore. I can't keep going into that. I can't keep following that anymore. And, and we, we see this played out in, in daily lives of where we, we understand the person dealing with addiction. We don't have them go back to their old ways because we know that when we, we have someone who's dealing with addiction who wants to get out of it, we, we, if we send them back to the old ways, they're going to fall back into that again. So when we are transformed and we let Jesus like just infill us to where like this is so good we have to start making choices and decisions to make change it doesn't mean we don't ever talk to people from our past but we can't let those be the primary influences in our in our lives anymore the primary influence in our lives needs to be Jesus this is why the church is so drastically important this is why I talk to other pastors and we, we talk about the struggle of streaming and everything else and it, it, we, we, we feel it, like the hardship of church online or just church in general now. Like there's this, this understanding that people say, like, I don't, I don't need to be with the body of believers. No, we do. We need each other. Because we all struggle and there's times when we want to go back to things that we once were a part of. And with Jesus and the support of the church, we can move past and say, okay, I've gotten through that. The transformative power of this new wine is good. And there's a picture in scripture talking about you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Because the old wineskins can't hold the new wine. The old wineskins burst. And so essentially, when new wine, your life, that's been transformed by Jesus, goes back to old ways, the old can't contain what's going on, your goodness falls through, the good wine falls out of the wineskin, and it just, it just plummets. It's almost wasted. You guys know when, a, when any type of liquid falls on the ground, like you, it's, you don't just pick it back up and put it back in the cup and drink it. It's done. 
So as we end the stories of Jesus, as we, as we move, wrap up this series, I, I, I want to ask us this question, like, have you recognized the power of Jesus transforming your life? Because there's a couple ways in which we recognize it. The first one is instantaneously we recognize the transforming power of Jesus. Meaning that when we come to Jesus and we lay our lives down, we are instantaneously saved from the original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve that, that put the curse of sin onto the world. We are saved from that. But then we move forward and, and we progressively we are continually being worked on by the Holy Spirit, being freed of our personal sin, our own choices, our own desires, our own ways in which we have lived in this life. And what's fun and interesting, I say fun, um, it's not like we look back and go, oh my gosh, remember me? Um, what's ironically fun, I guess you could say, is we typically notice the progressive change of Jesus in our life when we look back and we realize that we've made a choice differently than what we would have maybe five years ago or ten years ago. Or maybe a year ago or a month ago. Jesus wants to make us into that new wine. So good. So great. That in essence, people want more. That your words are good enough and that you're not so much good enough. Your words are powerful enough to the point where people want to keep hearing about what you have in your life. So it's not necessarily about the wine. It's about the transformative power of Jesus. It's good. So we're going to spend some time. We're going to have a song together to kind of reflect for a moment. And if, if you're at that spot in your life where you recognize the power of Jesus, just spend a moment and say thank you so much, God, for, for doing what you're doing. And how can I continue just to be and, and to grow and to, and to be that person you need me to be out in the world? And if you need to be at the altar, please come to the altar. If you want to meet Jesus where you're at, be at the chairs, do it. If you want to get on the ground and kneel at your chair, do it. If you want to go pray with someone, go do it. And if you're a person also who's been kind of maybe on the fence or not really sure about Jesus, then why wait? I get it. Like our lives, when we look at them, we don't feel like as if they're all that bad or, or horrible or anything else. But when, you, when you're faced with this, this new life and this new way of viewing the world and understanding how we can be with people and be in the world, that, at least for me, it forces me to ask questions. Can I really be a part of that? Am I worthy enough to be a part of that? I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. The beauty of coming to Jesus means you don't have to have the words. It, it, it's, it's your act. It's, it's your, your willful choice to say, yeah, it's time. Believers in this room, it, it's your time to say, Jesus, I still love you. Thank you. Continue making me that new wine. And as we move forward, I'll let you guys know, I, I, I got a bit of a preview of what Pastor Josh is going to be speaking about next week, and it's going to be good. And it's going to challenge us. And as we continue 
making our plans for the new location, for the new ways of what we're going to be doing and everything else and wrapping things up here like this new wine, this new life, this newness that Jesus wants to continue to bring into us. We just need to let it be and ask for that. Jesus, thank you. We love you so much. We really do. And I know we say that almost like every week, but in a way we can't say it enough. And in a way we, we, we struggle to find the best way to say it. So we ask for the, just the understanding of what it really means to be that new wine, to be completely transformed by your power, your power, your power alone, not ours. Just help us to understand where we're at with you right now, God.